Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Dan Bongino. You want the truth? Come to this podcast. You want someone to BS you and be full of crap? Go to a political rally. The Dan Bongino Show. We have to call it what it is and we have to stop being delicate about it. Get ready to hear the truth about America. We're not like the leftists. The conservatives don't need safe spaces. They don't need lollipops and coloring books and teddy bears. I'm good, okay? On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? All set, Dan. All set. Yeah, a lot to discuss today. Hey, quick update on a story I discussed yesterday about the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, they tweeted me and others from their verified account. Uh, the story, for those of you who missed yesterday's show, was there is a group on campus that wants to ban military veterans from mm. campus. Um, I went into the reasons on yesterday's show there. As outrageous as you can imagine, if not more outrageous than you could possibly imagine, but liberals uh, and liberal groups never fail to disappoint us with their stupidity. As I said during yesterday's show, the stupid is spreading and spreading quickly. Uh, But they sent me a tweet from the university's verified account from the chancellor, uh, the statement which, uh, to their credit, uh, just completely obliterates this student group's nonsense that they fully support veterans. And I think I was clear, Joe, I hope I was on yesterday's show, that this was not a statement from the university at all it was okay good it was a statement from the group and i just want to be clear on that i'm not disparaging in any way shape or form the university of colorado colorado springs it was this dopey group on campus so and the (laughs) chancellor's statement again is pretty uh pretty good have a peanut butter and stupid sandwich please. that's basically that and some milk and go enjoy yourselves or not (laughs) we don't really care uh um, it's on my facebook page the statement under the comments uh from the story i put up there it's also on my twitter if you want to check it out and uh you know what maybe i'll put it in the uh show notes today as well bongino.com thanks everyone to join my email list by the way we are it is exploding uh at bongino.com i can email you the show notes so uh yeah i mean this the stories today are coming in fast and furious obviously the tragedy in uh texas is still ongoing now it looks like we're going to get some uh some potential flooding in louisiana as well is uh you know, and, and this is one of the things that's been has been on my, you know, one of the things that these tragedies tend to do is to focus us. I mean, even today, Joe, this morning, just on a personal note, yeah. they, they, you know, they remind you of what real tragedy is going to look like. I mean, these are people there who've lost everything. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, you think of the things, the petty stuff in my house that matters to me. Like, I just got Secret Wars number one. And, uh, you know, like it would be flooded and you think to yourself, gosh, what would happen? Like, who cares? Like these people mm-hmm. lost their entire house, their cars, their livelihood. And, you know, I have to get a blood test this morning. Mm. And Joe, I never told you this, but I don't really I've had 12 surgeries, major ones from all the impact trauma to my body. Yeah. One of the things that scares me the most is blood tests. I, I Not needles. I don't care about needles at all. It bother me one bit. Blood tests freak me out. I had a bad experience when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So today, the whole day, I've been freaking out because I have to have a blood test. I'm like, damn it. I hate this thing. And then I'm thinking to myself, really? Really? Like, this is your trauma. <laughs> no, seriously, right? Yeah. Like, think about it. You got these people in Houston going through the worst. I yeah. mean, they've lost everything. And I'm like, you know what? Buttercup. 
suck it the hell up and shut your pie hole and get in there and get your damn blood test. Scrub. You know? <laughs> scrub. <laughs> Seriously, don't be a scrub. Put your butt in there. These people have real problems right now. This is not real. Like, put your problems in context. So, bit of self-deprecating truth right there, but I felt the need to put that out there. Hey, hey, Dan, I've had yeah. a few people ask me, every time Dan's complaining, you laugh at him. You yeah, you do, I, which is because my, I, I, and you know what? I get it. Like, I yeah. totally get the pettiness of all of this. And, you know, life's, uh, it, it's, it, it comes at you quick. So I, I just, I've been where you are. I used to get banged up when I was racing. I understand it. And that's why I laugh. We love what we do and we, we take what comes with it and we mm. kind of laugh about it. And that's, that's it. That's all. I funny. just don't know how I'm going to make it to, to like 80 or so because uh, I'm so banged up now. <laughs> I know. All right. So I was on uh, Wilkow. Andrew Wilkow has a show on uh, Sirius XM Patriot, 12 o'clock. Really good show. And the topic came up of media whataboutism. And this is what they're accusing us now of Republicans. I wanted to get into this today because I think the media is severely misinterpreting what's going on here. Folks, the problem we're having now uh, with the media is the media is rewriting a specific set of rules and not telling us what the rules are. We saw an example of this yesterday. So yesterday, Melania Trump leaves the White House to go to the areas affected by the flood or close to it with the president of the United States. And she leaves the White House in a set of heels. Now, for those of us in the Secret Service, on the White House staff, people who served in the military in and around the White House, they know that on the on the plane is typically 90 plus percent of the time a change of clothes for the president and others. Think about how many times on a foreign trip you've seen the president get on the plane in uh, you know a jacket and a bomber jacket. He changes on the plane and then he changes back into his suit when he leaves in a foreign country. Now, sure. again, that would require you to do a bit of analysis if you're a liberal and most people don't want to do that. So the liberals went on full attack mode yesterday saying, Oh, my gosh, look at this crazy first lady. Oh, how Marie Antoinette, what an elitist. She's getting on a plane and in heels to go to a flood zone. Well, she was at the White House and the dress code at the White House is a little different. Now, of course, she got off the plane in a different set of clothes, which most of us figured was going to happen in a set of sneakers to go around and toward the zone. This got me thinking about a bunch of things, and I teased this kind of yesterday. About the the what aboutism and why and what I mean by what aboutism is the media is now accusing us of well you guys are 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 being uncritical to Trump because you keep saying like what about Obama the heels example is one another example and I'll explain more of this in a second is the Obama, Arpaio Joe Arpaio the Maricopa County Sheriff former Maricopa County Sheriff pardon. A lot of conservatives out there who support Trump have said well you know what about the pardon of Mark Rich by Bill Clinton. What about the pardon of FALA and terrorists uh, uh, by uh, by Clinton? What about the Chelsea Manning, Bradley Manning uh, pardon by Obama? What about that? And the media goes, oh, well, what, what about ism? You're just engaging. No, we're not engaging in what about ism. Here's what we're doing. So liberals who listen to the show and conservatives who argue with their liberal friends understand. We are asking you for what the, the operating rules here. What are the rules, Joe? Are the rules now with regard to the heels, though, it's now okay to criticize first ladies again in their choice of attire? Because, Joe, I don't know about you, but I remember under Michelle Obama, God forbid you said anything about Michelle Obama, you were automatically labeled a racist every single time, and what you said had no substance at all. You remember that? I sure do. <laughs> yeah. You don't criticize the first the first lady. They're above repro- 
They're out of bounds. They're out of bounds. Uh, every yeah. time. Every yeah. time they said it. So is it, I, is that it? I don't understand. Like we're, we're not engaging in whataboutism. We're asking you media hacks out there who supposedly dictate the rules of what is, uh, you know, polite public discourse and what the facts are. What are the facts? Are we now criticizing the first lady's clothing attire despite the fact that you had the attire all wrong? She was not wearing heels to a hurricane zone. What's wrong with you? She was wearing sneakers. She got on the plane in a set of heels. We're asking you, what are the rules? So if the Arpaio pardon bothers you for whatever reason, I mean, the media has a thousand reasons. Trump's a racist. All, I mean, of course, that's their go-to every single time, right? By the way, I had one of those. Oh, yeah. This is coming up. There. I got one of these. It's going to be good. Uh, another doozy. But what are the operating rules here? Are the rules that it's now okay? And if it's now okay, and let's say in 2020 or 2024, Democrats elected and there's a first lady or a first man, whatever it may be, is it okay then to criticize? The problem we have with the media is that they, there's no, it, it's complete total hypocrisy. And they're the ones engaging in whataboutism, not us. Because they're saying, well, what about the rules? And they're saying, well, the rules don't matter. The rules only matter when it's a Republican. And you've seen it with the Arpaio pardon. Where... You may not like the Arpaio pardon. There's no question it's it's constitutional. But now all of a sudden presidential pardons bother you when they don't fit your political narrative, when they didn't bother you before when President Clinton was let, let go Mark Rich, who was accused of some pretty nasty stuff. Actually, uh, was uh, had some pretty heavy legal problems with that, too. None of that bothered you before. Now, yesterday I teased this topic about how this is what's really degrading the media's credibility in the eyes of the American people. And I know media hacks who listen to this because I've gotten some tweets about it. Um, it. Nobody trusts you anymore. You can avoid that. You can run from it. You can put that, 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 that crap eaten grin on your face that you have all the time that you guys are the, you know, the intellectual elites. We're all a bunch of cretins, a bunch of hayseeds, a bunch of dopey rednecks. And we don't understand what you understand in the insulated, you know, intellectual, academic Hollywood bubble, media bubble you all live in. But the, re- the joke is really on you. I teased this story yesterday. I watched an examiner story, which I'll put in the show notes today, about just how bad the media credibility has gone down the tank. This is this is a really stunning number. Joe, only 12%, 12%, 12 out of 100 people for the liberals, um, 12% of people uh, who are Trump supporters consider the New York Times trustworthy. Now, I had some people jokingly respond back on Twitter, really that high? No, but folks, on a serious note, think about that. I mean, yeah, it is kind of funny, but that's pretty amazing that if you were to get into a group of Trump supporters, remember, not all of them are are going to be as passionate as others. There are some people who just support him because they generally support lower taxes, school choice, that kind of thing. You you can only find basically one out of 10 people who thinks the New York Times is trustworthy, the so-called, air quotes, your paper of record. And, and New York Times, you don't find any of this troubling? Even, uh, I mean, just as bad. Only 14% consider the Washington Post trustworthy. And I really think that's only higher because I'm, 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 I'm convinced some people just see Washington in front of it and think it has some additional credibility because it's near the D.C. power circle. So basically, you can only find one out of 10 people to find the Washington Post trustworthy and a crowd of Trump supporters do. Why do you are you even mildly curious in the media why nobody trusts your brand anymore? I mean, if you're running a business and your business is trust and facts, that's what journalism is supposed to be. And nine out of 10 people who support the president of the United States think your paper's crap and untrustworthy. Some people would consider that a clue. That would be a big clue that there's something wrong. 
Folks, we have a real crisis in the country. And one of the things I had mentioned and teased in yesterday's show is it's starting to seep into the culture as well. And this is where the media is really going to get hurt and ultimately is going to wind up bankrupted from this, both morally and financially. There was a story I saw this uh, this weekend, uh, and it was about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is a UFC commentator, mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, he's he he's a really pretty nasty mixed martial arts fighter too. I mean, he's he's got some vicious kicks. If you ever seen videos of him online, but he doesn't do a, a lot of uh, any professional fighting. He does the announcing for the UFC. But he watched the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight, and he. He brought up an interesting point. The New York Times wrote a piece afterwards, a commentary on the fight. They May uh, McGregor's face bloodied, and 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 Rogan was like, "Wait, wait, wait! This is ridiculous! Like that's totally inaccurate. That's not what." For those of you who saw the fight, the end of the fight, McGregor was fine. I mean, he he lost the fight. He lost on TKO in the tenth round, but mm-hmm. there was no question he wasn't bloodied. He was barely beaten up. As a matter of fact, I mean, Mayweather's never been known as a big knockout artist, right? And Rogan, it's it that that part's irrelevant. The, the part that's relevant is Rogan in his tweet intimated that the you know the whole fake news thing was starting to permeate the New York Times even in their coverage of the fight. That should say to you something that the culture is Andrew Breitbart uh, used to bring up and someone uh, emailed me the other day and they were right. They said, you know, politics is downstream of culture, even though the left is winning the culture war amongst the big uh, the big three, you know, academia, Hollywood and the media. Mm-hmm. Amongst the general population in America, they're losing the culture war badly because there's been a mega, mega backlash against what's going on with those three entities, the media, Hollywood and academia. You're seeing it now. The University of Missouri, which has seen an unbelievable plunge in uh, in, in people applying to the university since they had that that Melissa Glick incident on campus. Remember that lady and a professor get some muscle oh, yeah. over here. They've had a backlash there. You've seen in the media. 12% of people trust the New York Times. Now, you may say, well, what's happening in Hollywood? Glad you asked. Saw an article on Drudge yesterday. Hollywood ticket sales down 16% this summer. Folks, if you're in NFL viewership having significant problems last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe something to do with Kaepernick. I mean, I say to people who are who are in these fields and listen to my show, and I know they do because someone emailed me about it the other day, which is very nice, by the way. I'm begging you to pass on to your people that you're not going to win this in the long run. The culture war you're winning is only in that insulated bubble. You're losing the political war and you're losing the majority of your customers. Rush brought this up yesterday in the show. You know, roughly 40 to 50 percent of America are relatively conservative. You're alienating half the country. Apple, all these other countries that donating to the hate group, the Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, seriously, there's been a mega backlash here. And the market is already deciding out there, folks, who is credible. And the market is deciding who's credible by decreased sales to the um, to Hollywood uh, to Hollywood produced movies, to uh, uh, decreased viewership of the NFL, uh, and some you know the Super Bowl did well. I mean to be fair, but the the regular season had a real problem, and I think a lot of that was due to Kaepernick. Papers that aren't trusted anymore, people aren't buying them. There's a backlash. The market is already deciding who's credible and who's not. And you're losing. You're on the losing side of this. All right, I got a couple other really terrific stories today to get to. Every time I see this, by the way, it gets me really upset. I'm watching, uh, I have Fox on in the background. They're always showing footage of these Antifa people. I just can't believe it, man. These people are such, this is a political terror group, nothing more. Let's make no mistake about it. This is not some activist group. It's a terrorist group. End of story. They use violence to terrorize people. That's the definition of terrorism. You, you know, what the hell's wrong with these people? Ugh, boy, frustrates me. 
All right, uh, today's show on a different note, brought to you by Brickhouse Nutrition, one of my favorite companies out there. Yesterday, I had a really killer workout. I was tired. Sometimes I don't like to do two workouts in a row, heavy ones at least, especially it involves squatting and deadlifting. And yesterday, I uh, I put three pinwheels, three pizzas on the bar each side for the deadlift, for those of you who care about this kind of stuff. And I weigh about 220, 225 now, and I've never been a great deadlifter. But I got uh, three sets of five, which I was very proud of yesterday on the deadlift with three pinwheels. That's a lot for me. I have the deadly combination with deadlifting, Joe. You know what that is? Mm. Long legs and short arms because you have to pull the weight that much higher when you deadlift. You know, long arms are great yeah. because you don't have to you know, lift the weight that high. So I've never been a good deadlifter. I attribute a lot of that to foundation, though. I, take a, I took a hit of foundation before and afterwards. It's great stuff. It is a creatine ATP blend. And the best thing I can say about it, because I know a lot of you are concerned about looks. You know, you should be. Everybody wants to look good. They want to look lean. They want to look fit. Um, is try the mirror test with this stuff. It's so good. It's like having two extra gas tanks in the gym. It's going to enable you to work uh, harder to be stronger in the gym, to pump out more reps, and ultimately it gives you a nice muscle volumization effect and you look terrific. Take the mirror test, look at yourself before you try it, look at yourself seven days later, give it a chance to work in the mirror and I think you're going to be pretty impressed. Take a mental snapshot. Go give it a look, brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. That's brickhousenutrition.com slash Dan. Pick up a bottle of foundation today. I think you'll be impressed. All right. Uh, here's a story that I found deeply disturbing. Speaking again about Antifa and what's going on out there. Mm. So the Berkeley police chief, this guy, Andrew Greenwood, this guy, um, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of criticizing other law enforcement officers often. I, I, you know, there are tough choices that have to be made. These, these, these decisions are made on the spot. Um, and it's easy for me behind a microphone, having especially having been in law enforcement, to sit back and Monday morning, even Tuesday morning, quarterback people who made decisions, uh, whether they turned out well or turned out poorly. So I don't like to criticize folks. But this this guy in Berkeley, I, I just don't get it. So people are starting to say to themselves, like, hey, what's going on in Berkeley? Like, you have a police department out there, and it seems that, you know, whenever these Antifa people show up with bats and sticks and stuff, that nothing happens. I mean, outside of a couple of isolated arrests and people stopping, a couple of cops uh, out there in the department stopping uh, isolated incidents of violence, that the Antifa people otherwise are allowed to run wild. Now, Now, folks, we have a real problem here because what's going on, and I tweeted out this article, Legal Insurrection, today. These, there were cops on the scene who were watching these Antifa people grab their shields and grab their sticks and like no, nothing, nothing happened. They just let them randomly attack people. Folks, this is the this is. This is the heckler's veto. This is what happens with the heckler's veto. When a group of people, it's one of the most dangerous things a free society can have. A heckler's veto is this. When you have a group like Antifa that goes to a rally specifically to cause violence, that's their only goal is to hurt other people who disagree with them politically. They cause violence. And now what you're seeing is a the Berkeley Police Department over there. You're seeing them enable these people because they're using the excuse of further violence, Joe, mm-hmm. as a reason to veto free speech. Here's what I mean. Right. Um, Milo and Ann Coulter are talking about two uh, conservatives are talking about going to the campus, conservative speakers. And now there's a threat of violence. No kidding, Sherlock. The threat of violence is by the far left groups that want to beat these people up. You don't give the hecklers, Antifa, a veto over free speech. I mean, this is the essence of a free society, Joe. The ability for minority ideas, which is no question. These I means sadly. That is the minority position in Berkeley, which is largely a tyrannical socialist place. 
the idea that free speech, conservatives and libertarians should be able to speak there. We, we can both agree, Joe, right? is a minority position. But can we also agree that free speech is there to protect the minority position, not to protect what everybody thinks? It's not to protect everybody who says, hey, I love the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. It's there to protect the guy who says, I love the Dallas Cowboys in New York City. That's the whole point of free speech. When you allow the heckler's veto, you don't have free speech. You have populist speech only. And the problem I'm seeing here, Joe, is again the media, not to keep harping on the media on these shows endlessly, but it's just, it's driving me crazy what they're doing. I mean, even with the storm stops, now all of a sudden, did Trump go too soon? Did he go too late? You know, Wilcott brought up a great point. What about when Obama, the tornadoes in Joplin, and they were like, oh, he's monitoring them from, nobody cared about it then. But now all of a sudden, again, the media, what are the rules of operation here? Are we supposed to go or not supposed to go to storm stops? The answer is it depends. How can they can criticize Republicans? That's all that matters. But here's what's happening now. Left-wing Antifa violence is being suppressed by the media. They barely cover it. Barely. They'll touch on it and they'll move on. Yet you have an incident of, of violence that has nothing to do with right-wing politics at all, like this nut in uh, Charlottesville, right? And all of a sudden, for days, there are efforts made to pass gun control, speech codes, whatever it may be, to suppress conservative uh, conservative ideas. So what's happening now is the left is using violence as a political and strategic weapon, not just an actual physical weapon against other people, Joe. They're condoning the media by their lack of coverage and their overall overall failure Mm -hmm. to call this stuff out and to call it what it is, political terrorism, they're condoning it. And what do you wind up getting? You're going to wind up sooner or later, Joe, and I I hope this day doesn't come, Mm. but you're going to have a situation where people are going to have to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. These Antifa folks are going to punch the wrong guy in the face one day, and there's going to be an act of, of retribution or self-defense, or whatever it may be. And then what's going to happen? The media, hack media, are going to, again, blame right-wing violence for everything. We're going to have this Southern Poverty Law Center, the hate group, out there labeling these people hate group uh, folks, even if it's like a Tea Party group. There's going to be an effort to shut down their websites then by Google and all these other places. This is what's happening right now. I've given you examples on prior shows of how this is already happening. This is not some Orwellian future. This is not Blade Runner. This is not some apocalyptic Mad Max type thing. It's happening now. You are already having groups out there, GoDaddy and other places, they're shutting down domains because they don't agree. Granted, some of the domains are pretty disgusting. But once we start walking down that slippery slope, Joe, this is what's going to happen. Violence by Antifa. Eventually, people are going to respond. When they respond, they're going to be blamed for the violence Antifa caused. Then there's going to be a concerted effort by private industry because remember the show I did last week? It's always safe to be on the left. Always. Never safe to be on the right. They'll then go out with the SPLC and say, look, the Southern Poverty Law Center labeled whatever, the Tea Party group of blah, 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 to uh, a hate group. All of a sudden, we got to shut down their domain. We're not going to process their credit cards anymore. And again, you're creating an alienated class of human beings strictly because of political beliefs. You're already seeing this happen, folks. This stuff should bother you. It should frighten you. It, it shouldn't be... There's no reason to panic about it, but there is reason to get active, open, and honest about it and start having this conversation about how we're going to handle this. Now, a couple of people emailed me and said, what do we do? Folks, we have to start speaking with our wallets. I, I, you know, I don't want to repeat shows I've done again in the past, but it is absolutely time to start speaking with our wallets. 
Do not support any of these companies. It's tough right now for me with one specific one because I'd be the product. It's distrib- it's distributing the product for you. But I have done my best to eliminate financial support of any of these colleges, universities, Hollywood actors, uh, news media types, anyone that does this. Eventually, when the money dries up, everything else dries up too. It's the only way right now. I hate boycotts. I think they're stupid, but it's the only way. It's the only way to fight back from being marginalized. All right. Uh, I got a couple more stories, a couple doozies here. So there is a big controversy breaking out, Joe. I don't know if you uh, heard this one or covered it on the morning show today, but these two law professors, we're going to do an ode to Tom Marr here in a minute. These two huh. law professors, yes, it's coming, uh, at the University of uh, Pennsylvania and uh, University of San Diego. They wrote a piece critiquing the breakdown of what they call like bourgeois values, which really are the the breakdown of classic American cultural values, hard work, get married, you know, have kids, support your kids, go to school. I mean, really, you know, save your money, non-controversial ideas. Yeah. Now, apparently, if you write about that and you write it in reference to a minority community, you're a you can't say anything like that ever god forbid now i got some killer quotes from this there's a piece of national review i'll put up in the show notes there's also a piece in a journal i think it's subscriber only they both basically say the same thing i'll try to throw them both in there uh but i gotta quote jason riley is a good piece in the journal the gist of the piece was this by these two uh and by the, that's always an ode to Tom Marr, by the way. He used to do that. God rest <laughs> the man. So these two law professors are saying that hey, this is we have to view this non-emotionally. What is going on in the black and Hispanic community and in inner cities that is leading to high crime rates, you know, epidemic levels of poverty? I mean, what what what's going can we have a rational conversation? Apparently you can't mm. now. By doing this, these two law professors are being accused, and this is a quote, Joe, I'm not making this up, I'm being serious here. They're accused of racist and white supremacist discourse. This is hysterical. This is If it's not sad, it's almost comical. You can't say anything anymore without identity politics. It's racist and white supremacist discourse to wonder what's going on in the black community. Now, Jason Riley does a phenomenal job today in the Wall Street Journal. But by the way, he happens to be black. Doesn't matter to me and conservatives, but matters a whole lot to identity politics leftists. And he debunks this idea, Joe, because what the left wants you to believe, of course, is that all of this is a remnant of America's uh, original sin, which was slavery. Mm-hmm. And the, the left wants you to believe that because of that original sin, that there is no overcoming this. Because remember, the left needs you angry at all times. They have nothing to sell you. They have no economic ideas. Mm-hmm. Their economic ideas, their healthcare ideas, their education ideas are garbage. They are grotesquely unpopular. They poll poorly. Nobody wants higher taxes. Nobody wants the government dictating their health care. And nobody wants to be told where their kids can go to school. They just don't so the left yeah it all sucks so the left is nothing to sell you ever so the left needs to motivate you to the polls by keeping you angry and one of the ways they've tried to keep the minority community angry is by constantly blaming conservatives and republicans who ironically were the ones who were the ones who abolished slavery it's that's not even a historical question but it's by blaming them and keeping the stain of slavery open and alive in the eyes of americans now jason riley this is his words not mine but talks about how uh, post-slavery America, despite the horrors of Jim Crow and legal de jure segregation, Joe, how the black family was doing better then than it is now. 
So your argument that this is all a remnant of slavery, I don't think anybody would say it had, had nothing to do with it. No reasonable person. But your argument that that's the sole cause of pockets of poverty in minority inner city communities doesn't hold water. Here's what he writes. He writes, between 1890 and 1940, for example, black marriage rates in the U.S. were higher than white marriage rates. In the 1940s and 1950s, black labor participation rates exceeded those of whites. Black incomes grew much faster than white incomes, and the black poverty rate fell by 40 percentage points. Between 1940 and 1970, during the Jim Crow era and prior to the era of affirmative action, the number of blacks in the middle class professions quadrupled. In other words, racial gaps were narrowing, narrowing. Steady progress was being made. Folks, this is a pretty damning piece because when these two law professors wrote this piece about a lot of this poverty, these pockets of poverty is due to the breakdown of marriage, the breakdown of the nuclear family, the breakdown of a commitment to education, the breakdown of the values of hard work and, 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 and investment and all this traditional cultural American values. And this is happening largely and it's impacting uh, middle and lower income people more than it is the wealthy, Joe, because wealthy people have the ability to overcome divorce yeah. and the financial constraints on it. But I, I mean, it's it's tautological to say that but more than other people. They have more assets. Yeah. So the point of the piece that these, these authors wrote, and I encourage you to check out the National Review piece, is that when you're middle and lower income, you don't have the ability financially to overcome these the you know single family households and the, and the, and the, and some of the problems it can cause like wealthy people do and these are the people who are suffering the most from the evaporation of what they call the bourgeois values, the cultural values of America. Now, God forbid we bring that up because the left doesn't want you to know. Why does the left not want you to know that? Because the left needs an angry class, folks, all the time. If the left doesn't have people angry, do you understand what I'm telling you that the left doesn't have anything? They have nothing. They don't stand for anything. The left has zero. They don't have any marketable ideas to give you anymore. The party of JFK is dead. If they don't have you angry... And, and, and what's said in that piece, that this is largely due to a disintegration of the family that, that, that has led to increased crime, poor economic output, poor uh, academic output, a disintegration of the family, and a lack of commitment to hard work. If the let lets you believe that, then it does one thing, Joe. It individualizes this. Mm-hmm. And when it individualizes the problem, like, hey, you need to get married. Mm-hmm. You need to take care of your kids. When it individualizes the problem, what does it do? It makes it impossible to create a victim class. Because how do you create a victim class if I were to say, hey, Armacost, this is your problem. You need to fix this. There's nothing the government could do for this. And there's nothing the Republicans did to you either. This is a decision you made. Well, these two authors of the piece at the UPenn and University of San Diego, these law professors, are being just attacked right now viciously. Believe me, behind the scenes, there has been a concerted leftist effort to debunk everything these people are saying. Because, folks, I'm telling you, the left can't have a narrative of individual self-determination. Get married, work hard, invest your money, go to school. The left doesn't want that. The left's narrative always is, don't worry, the Republicans did this, you're not at fault. Don't worry, the conservatives did this, you're not at fault. Don't worry, the libertarians did this, you're not at fault. It's always, don't worry, someone did this to you, therefore vote for us and we'll go attack them. Folks, that's all they have. They do, I, I, you know, it, for those of you who listen to my show regularly, and I know sometimes I... I, I tend to get a little emotional and some people like those shows. Some people don't. I mean, to be fair, I get more 
positive reviews and negative ones, but uh, still, there are some people who don't like him. But one of the reasons I get so passionate about the topic is having been a cop uh, in the 7-5 precinct in East New York was a life-changing event. The 7-5, for those of you who aren't familiar with the area, is East New York, Brooklyn. It is one of the most crime-ridden, at the time I was there at least, areas of New York City. It was just devastated by drugs, by broken families. Um, it was a really tough place to work. And it gets in your head, folks. I'm not going to mess with you. You know, there are people there 20 years who really had a hard time going out to work every night. You know, uh, they had a suicide when I was there. It's a really tough place to work. And watching, watching lives collapse almost in front of your eyes and the effects of generational poverty. I mean, when you go in houses and it's grandmother, mother, daughter, and the daughter's pregnant, and there's no father around, there's no food in the house. And there's nothing but a government check. You say to yourself, and you see it over and over, you start to figure it out. Joe. You say, it's not the people. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with the people. There's not like a genetic mutation in the 7-5 precinct. They're normal people like everyone else. You start to say to yourself, there's something wrong here. And it's not the people. There is something wrong with the system. The system is incentivizing individuals to make bad decisions. Now, you may say, oh, I thought you just said it wasn't. It is. It's the individual making bad decisions incentivized by the government, incentivizing the lack of a father around by making it financially comfortable, incentivizing it by generational welfare, encouraging people not to work. And that's really tough. I mean, you want to talk about my, you know, I was never a a, a liberal, but I was an independent most of my life until that. I'm telling you, the government is the one out there that is actually kneecapping people as they hope to get up. Again, it's not that they're not helping. They're actually punching you in the face and slamming your kneecaps with a bat as you try to get up. The government's doing this. You get the government out of the way and you let people handle it for themselves like they fully can. Those were good people there. They will fix it. I assure you, they are not going to starve to death. They are going to work and they are going to find a way to make it. All right, I mean to get off track. Hey, um, I got a couple other stories I want to get to. But uh, have you signed up for CRTV yet? Hey, I really appreciate everybody who has. I give you my promo code. It's Bongino, my last name, B-O-N-G-I-N-O. I'll give you $10 off. It's available for a fraction of the cost of cable. And we all know there's a lot of junk on cable. There's not only so much I can watch on cable. I have all these channels. And I think I watch like two of them. So you go to us at, at CRTV, you're going to get the best conservative content out there for a fraction of the cost. You can watch it on your computer. You can watch it on your tablet. You can watch it on your smartphone. It's ways to sling it to your TV. You're going to get Mark Levin's show, Steve Dace's show, Steve Crowder's show, Michelle Malkin's show, all of them individually worth the price of admission. Go give it a shot. It's available for less than $10 a month using my promo code Bongino. Go to CRTV.com. That's CRTV.com and sign up today. Hey, um, one more quick plug, by the way. I My book, I know some people get aggravated when I promote my book. I'm sorry. It's uh, yeah. I put a lot of work into it. Yeah. But my book, Protecting the President, it's coming out September 19th. But if you order on Amazon, I think that I just got mine. So I'm, I'm, I guess they're already shipping, which I was unaware of. It was supposed to come out September 19th. But if you go to Amazon today, protecting the president, go check it out. I would appreciate it if you pick up a copy. It's uh, it's my my favorite book that I've written about the, the downfall of the Secret Service and how it's really a warning sign for other federal law enforcement agencies and the government out there, what really happened in the Secret Service. So it's important uh, because we don't want to repeat those mistakes. All right, two more quick stories, and we'll we'll bolt here. Uh, one tax cuts. Trump is pushing for a uh, a tax cut. For, we're gonna he's gonna give a speech in Missouri coming up. 
He's going to try to cut the pass-through rate from 396 to 15%. This is important. Um, pass-throughs are, are basically business owners who declare the income on as a personal income tax. They don't declare it under the corporate rate, so they're not organized in that fashion. This is important because it's a lot of small businesses, and we should all be on board with this, folks. American small businesses are really the engine of the American economy, and if we can get people to start small business and cut their tax rate in half, that money is going to go somewhere. Like I said yesterday, it's not going to disappear. Or the day before, I said, you can consume it, invest it, or spend it. It's good. It's, the, the money is going to go somewhere into the economy. So it's a big deal. And second one, this is kind of a funny story I saw. Because I, I, I listen, I, I applaud all the lawyers out there who do really hard work. Uh, and I, I certainly don't mean to, you know, to uh, go after all of you. But there are obviously are people in the legal profession who are really doing America a huge disservice. And it's sad. There are people in every profession, but sometimes the legal ones uh, can cost Americans a lot of money. So there was a story. Did you see the story about Subway? Yeah. Not the subway, but subway, the like the sandwich chain. No, some Australian kid in 2013, Joe, posted a picture of a foot long subway. Oh, short, yeah, it was short, and yeah. he, with a ruler <laughs> like next to it, and it was it was 11 inches. Right. So what happened? A couple of lawyers, entrepreneurial lawyers, filed a class action law. You're like, <laughs> oh, oh, Mike, really, really, dude? Like everything going on right now, and this is what you're worried about. So they won the case. They got some kind of a settlement. And the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, Diane Sykes, who I really like, is uh, she was married to Charlie Sykes, the radio host. Well, I'm not a huge fan of because he goes after friends of mine all the time. But they overturned it. And uh, it, we'll see what happens. Maybe it'll go to the Supreme Court or whatever. But it was kind of a funny case because it just goes to show how we waste a lot of money and time on really inconsequential stuff. I mean, the, and in some ways, defense, just so I give you the full story here, was that the dough yeah. is uniform. In other words, when they lay out the dough to be a foot long, it may shrink, it may expand, whatever it may be, but the dough is uniform, so they're going to win that kid. But I just thought that was interesting because it speaks to all the money we waste. You think regulations are expensive? Defending against frivolous lawsuits is becoming a major cost in American business. And just like I was talking about the tax cuts, how tax cuts put more money in your wallet and that money has to go somewhere, remember- Silly class action lawsuits by really disingenuous lawyers takes a lot of money out of the system as well. That money has to go somewhere, and the money's going in their pockets when it could have went into American businesses. Really a shame. All right, folks, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for all the reviews on iTunes. We are over 400 reviews. You guys are the best. My wife was astonished uh, at how great the audience is. We went from 250 to 400 a couple weeks. I really appreciate it. Go give us a review, uh, iTunes. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.